This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all superstars. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries. 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before turning it over, as I always do, to formally welcome and introduce my guest of the week, I just want to quickly thank my uh, sponsors, Halt and Honda, as well as Forever, for believing in myself, my guests, and the content of both myself, my program, and the network. I also wish to wish thank you my family over at the C-Suite Radio Network, where once the show is done live. You can find eventually the podcast link uh, to the show today. So who is my guest today? Well, my guest is a well-known gentleman by the name of Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield, known as America's number one success coach, is a best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, and entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of the Canfield Training Group, which trains entrepreneurs, educators, corporate leaders, and motivated individuals how to accelerate the achievement of their personal and professional goals. He has conducted live trainings for more than a million people in more than 40 countries around the world. He holds two Guinness World Record titles and is a member of the National Speakers Association Speaker Hall of Fame. Jack is the co-author of more than 200 books, including The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, The Success Principles for Teens, Tapping into Ultimate Success, Coaching for Breakthrough Success, The Success Secret, The Power of Focus, The Aladdin Factor, and Jack Canfield's Key to Living the Law of Attraction, What We Think We Become, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which includes 40 New York Times bestsellers and has sold more than 500 million copies in 47 languages around the world. Jack is a featured teacher in the movie The Secret and has appeared on more than a 1,000 radio and television shows, including Oprah Winfrey's show, The Today Show, Fox and Friends, Larry King Live, and the NBC Nightly News and the CBS News. Jack is the founder and chairman of the board of the Transformational Leadership Council, a professional association for owners of transformational training and coaching companies and thought leaders in the field of personal and organizational transformation. My goodness, what a repertoire. Welcome to Living Fearlessly, Jack. How are you? I'm fine, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Well, this is such an honor, and, you know, I'm just going to quickly say, for people who follow me, and I'm always very grateful for that, people would know that I have been setting my intentions to interview you for over two years now, and here we are, and, of course, you and I don't believe in coincidences. So I spoke this into existence, and here you are with me today in the Loyal Listener, so thank you so much. You're very welcome. My, my, my pleasure. Well, I just want to say, too, I know one thing that's very pivotal and something that you quote and cite quite regularly, uh, given your role as a leader on the, you know, the, the global scale and the stage is, you know, 
we are the average of the five people you hang around with, which is a segue to Patty Aubrey. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Patty uh, personally and professionally for setting this up, uh, as well as Todd Armstrong, and you've got such a phenomenal realm of people surrounding you. So I just want to say fantastic the fact that you have discovered who your backbone is to your business and how that's taken off in the trajectory of your path. And I just want to personally give uh, Patty kudos, who will eventually be joining us here as well on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. So thank you to all of you. You're quite the stellar team. Thank you. So, you know, Jack, maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, the fork is turned at the highest vibrational level. You know, I'm I'm off the charts here. This is probably one of the most pivotal interviews, and uh, I really do step into Living Fearlessly. It's not very often that I get... Uh, you know, immersed in fear. I'm not in fear. I'm super excited. I'm super jazzed right now. Uh, energy is off the charts. So, you know, if we could talk a little bit about, because the basis of everything, and you talk about this at length, is, you know, it really is about feelings. Your state and your sphere in terms of energies and your feelings, therefore converting and computing into your thoughts, which accelerates what it is you profess to want uh, to achieve and show up in your life. So if we can talk about that relationship and why that's so pivotal and, and where people fall short within that. Well, basically, your feelings are your vibrational energy that you put out. And so we have the capacity to, uh, how should I say, to control those feelings, to generate those feelings, to choose those feelings. And most of us are unconscious about it. We just we just go, well, that's just what I feel. And the reality is our, our, our feelings often follow our thoughts, the stories we tell about ourselves, the beliefs we have. And so we can learn to take 100% responsibility for our vibration. You know, you meet certain people and you just are instantly attracted to them because they're generating and radiating such high energy. I used to always say when Robin Williams was alive, if he walked into the room, the whole room changed. And everyone just wanted to be around him because he was so fun and so high and so positive and so energetic. Now, we know in his private life, he had a lot of depression, but he was able, whenever he went on stage, whenever he went out to a social gathering, to choose to step into a different vibration. And so when we create the, the experience of joy, when we follow our joy, when we do things that bring us joy, when we uh, get into forgiveness, when we get into love, when we get into enthusiasm, and I love the word enthusiasm. The word of enthusiasm is entheos. It's a Greek word. Entheos means God. It's like the root word of theology. And so when we're filled with the spirit of God, and whether you call that universal energy, source energy, or God, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. Then what happens is we are attractive, not just to other people, but to other things around us vibrating at the same level. So when I'm in a state of joy, I attract more things into my life to be joyful about. When I'm in a state of appreciation, I attract more things into my life to appreciate. If I'm in a state of anger or resentment, as many people in the world are right now with our politicians, with the state of things, then we attract into our personal space more things to be upset about. So it's really very, very important to manage your emotions. In other words, as one learns to manage one's state, uh, you begin to create more and more of what it is you want in your life. Most people have never learned how to do that. We didn't learn that in school. That wasn't a class we took. Um, I always say it's much more important to know how 
to manage your states, clarify your values, get in touch with your purpose, set goals, do visualizations, affirmations, etc., than it is to know the seven causes of the Civil War or the five exports of Brazil. Unfortunately, we haven't changed much about how we educate kids. Very true. Very true. And the one thing that I, I really want to emphasize with the loyal listeners, too, and you, you make this abundantly clear in, in every talk that you give, everything that I've read and researched about you, um, which is very pivotal and profound in terms of the direction of where you go, is you have to take massive action. It's not enough just to have 3D visionary boards. It's not enough just to have daily self-proclamations. It's not enough just to say, I am statements. It really is pivotal and profoundly important and coupled with you have to take massive action. So for people who have who are tuning into this program, Jack, who, you know, feel that they've honed quite a bit of this and they're committed to it and they're they're, you know, fiercely doing all the right things, immersing themselves with the right people, uh, but there's still something that's not computing. There's still something that's not elevating their game. How do you break that down with people who come to hear you speak or people who you are directly coaching? What tends to be, generally speaking, the block that there may be some commonalities with the majority of the people you interface with? Well, there are several. Let's start with the one you mentioned first, which is action. There's two kinds of actions. There's what I call obvious actions. You want to be a doctor, you have to go to medical school. You have to study biology and anatomy and physiology and all of that. And that's, those are the obvious things you have to do. You know, you want to be wealthy, you've got to study money, and you've got to save and invest and, you know, do all the things we know about that. The, the reality is that um, most of us don't even do the obvious things. We can talk about why in, in that in just a moment. But the other piece for most people is that they don't understand the importance of what I call inspired actions. When you're visualizing, when you're affirming, when you're doing all the things you just mentioned and you have clear goals and you have a vision and you have a purpose and your your behavior and your goals are aligned with that purpose, then what happens is you're going to start getting inspirations. You'll be driving to work and you'll just get this idea you should go to a different Starbucks or a different, um, you know, other coffee shop. And so... Tim Hortons, if you're in Canada kind of thing. And so what happens yeah. is if you, if you don't follow that, then what happens is you perhaps have missed an opportunity to meet someone in line. Uh, maybe that's the person that would be your business partner, the person that would be your next client, the person that would be your future spouse. Um, and so what happens is you're getting guidance, if you will. Once you commit to doing this inner work, then you're going to have these inspirational thoughts. I'm coming back on a plane from Boston and I've been hearing over for weeks, you know, you should put those stories in a book. I'd be telling all these stories in my talks. And I, I'm, I was ignoring it for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I was getting all these messages from the universe. And then finally I thought, well, if I was going to put all my stories in a book, how many stories do I have? So I started to list them on the plane. And I had about 69 or 70 stories. And I thought, well, if I do two stories every week, within a year I'll have a book. And so I followed that, and that became Chicken Soup for the Soul, which changed my life. I mean, in one year, I think the third year into the series, I made $6 million in royalties off that book. Wow. And so the reality is that if I hadn't followed that, I didn't set out in my life to write a book. In fact, I had a C-plus in freshman composition in college, so it was never – it didn't look like it was in my future to be a writer. <laughs> uh, and I, I can tell you a lot of writers who failed English in college, you know, it's really funny. But anyway, 
the 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 point is if i hadn't followed that inspiration i would not be sitting here talking to you today i had people in my company quit uh because we were doing a lot of corporate training they said chicken soup for the soul nobody's going to hire us with a stupid title like that can't you do the <laughs> eighth habit of a highly effective person or a leadership book or something like that i said no i have to do this book mm-hmm. and so sometimes the inspirations are simple and they're just you know minor things like you know go to work an hour late today for, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Stay home with the kids, and then you're not in the building when 9/11 happened and fell down. Um, yes. You know, so you you're getting guidance all the time in alignment with your purpose, as long as you're doing the inner work of information, you know, affirmations and visualization and declarations, all the things you just talked about. But you have to act on them. Now, another thing that keeps us from achieving our goals, instead of you know, in addition to not taking action, and well, let me say one more thing about action. Tony Robbins has a wonderful quote. He says, you have to take massive action if you want massive results. Mm-hmm. So the level of your action has to be consistent with the level of your goals. Like right now, one of my goals is to train one million people to teach the success principles around the world. And we've developed two training programs, one online, one live. And we now have about 2,500 graduates in just a couple of years. And now we're starting to create trainers of trainers that can you know, scale that out. Um, so I have to take massive action every day to, to bring that goal into reality. With Chicken Soup for the Soul, we did five radio interviews every single day, seven days a week for three years, and it took two years, or about a year and a half before we hit a bestseller list, but we kept doing that for a long, long time, uh, and so we were on the bestseller list with a book for at least 10 years in a row, we always had a book of the New York Times, but that was because I was doing five or six of these a day, um, letting people know, because otherwise people don't. Now, the other thing that happens is people have unconscious limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, they're outside of your awareness, and they're, they're beliefs that you're not enough, you don't deserve it, you don't understand math, you don't know how to sell, it's not okay to sell, money's evil, you know, all those kind of things, and they get in the way. I'll give you an example um, of, of – uh, well, I was working with a client not too long ago who was very successful uh, up to a point, made about $140,000 a year, but he could never get beyond that. And this is a guy who is a natural salesperson who should have easily been making you know, half a million to a million a year. <laughs> and so we did an exercise where I had him go into his body and get in touch with how he felt about it, and then we're able to, to – to, to, to get in touch with the feeling, the sensation in the body, then ride that back to the earliest time he felt that feeling. And he went back to when he was 21 years old, and he had just gotten out of college. He got a job at the same company his father had, a job was selling insurance. And in his first month, he got this huge check, because as I said, he's a natural salesperson. Not that you can't learn how to do it, even if you're not a quote-unquote natural, but he was. And so he showed his check to his father because he's very proud. And his father looked at the check and walked away dejected. And he thought, gee, I made my dad feel bad. I don't know what happened there. And later his mother told him that his check was bigger than his father's check, who'd been working at the same company for 20 years. Wow. And his father, you know, was dismayed by that, felt disappointed by that. He wasn't upset with his son, but he was upset with himself. And Scott, when he was 21, who loved his father, said, I'm, I never want to make my father feel bad again. And so he made a contract with himself never to make more money than his father. Now, when I worked with him, he was in his 40s, and he forgot that he'd taken on that belief. Uh, it's not okay to make more money than my father. We were able to release that belief. And then the next month, I think it was within a week, 
he had made one fifth of his yearly income, and he went on that year to make over half a million dollars. So these beliefs are outside of our awareness. They have to do with our deservability. Mm-hmm. They have to do with how we relate to money, our sense of ourself, relationships. Like if you believe that all men are scary because your uncle molested you, then you're not going to be able to create an intimate relationship with anybody. So most of those happen between the age of three and eight. We now have a lot of technology. EFT tapping, NLP, the Sedona method, Byron Katie's work. A Love lot of Byron Katie. I do too. Katie's amazing. Yeah. And all of those technologies now are available to us. And within minutes, sometimes we can release beliefs that have been locking us in for 20, 30 years. Absolutely. Well, a couple of things simultaneously came to me as you were speaking there, Jack, which is not uncommon for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a blessing and a curse. But um, so in terms of intuition, you know, because I we talk a lot about intuition, we talk about inner dialogue, we talk about the correlation, the connection, the relationship with that and how that merges and fosters into and just balloons, basically. So, you know, I've heard you reference the example, you know, kind of scientific example of petri dishes and water bottles and and students speaking to them, one uh, sector of of individuals talking negative things, professing negative things to the water bottles as opposed to alternatively people professing positive things, uh, proclamations and affirmations to the other water bottles. And the results are astounding. So I would really appreciate it, as I'm sure the listeners would, if you could speak a little bit more in detail and in depth about that. So you're referring to the work of Dr. Masar, uh, Masaru right. Omoto, the Japanese businessman and scientist uh, who basically did some experiments where he would have a bottle of water, like, you know, we buy at the store that we drink, you know, we walk around. He put it on the desk in front of the classroom. He'd have all the students send negative energy, I hate you. And then he would take that water and freeze it, put it in a Petri dish and freeze it. And then he'd take another bottle of water and he'd have the students uh, send positive energy to water. I love you. Thank you. Gratitude. Arigato in Japanese. And so then you take that water and freeze it. And then what happens is you would put it under a microscope and as it would begin to melt, he would take pictures of the crystals that formed like little snowflake fr- crystals. And with the positive water, he got these beautiful symmetrical six pointed stars and things like that. Snowflake looking things. And for the negative statements, it just formed black blobs. And so what he noticed was memory has, or water has memory, and your body is about 86% water. Your brain is about that. Your body's more like 70 something. And so what happens is when you have a negative thought, you're affecting the water in your brain, you're affecting the water in your body, and you're affecting all the cells. All the cells have, have water in them. And so basically, he proved that our thoughts are affecting our consciousness. Now, the next thing he did is he wondered how far can this phenomenon extend? In other words, if I say it to a bottle of water in a room, that's one thing, but could I affect the water in the United States from Japan? So they created an an experiment where they had a um, group of, I think it was 10 or 20,000 Japanese uh, give thanks to all the water in the world. So for an hour or two, they all gathered in groups around Japan and sent thank you to the water, gratitude, appreciation. And they took samples of the water the day before that and then an hour after they did it. And the samples all showed the exact same thing. The water the day before was kind of murky. There was no real crystals formed. It was all kind of just ugly. And then the next 
day after they did it, they took water from the Mississippi, the Seine River in France, the rivers in Moscow and Germany and so forth, and all the water uh, showed beautiful crystals. So we know that this can travel a minimum of 25,000 miles, that's the circumference of the Earth. And then we have experiments with astronauts up in the moon, which is 250,000 miles, where we've done similar things and gotten similar results. So, um, you know, most of us don't need to affect anyone on the moon, but <laughs> when, when we visualize our goals as completed and we do that with a great deal of gratitude and excitement, enthusiasm, love and joy, we are literally sending a spam email to the entire population of the world. And that's when all these synchronous events start to occur. What my life, my wife likes to call them synchromystical, like the word synchronistic, it's mm-hmm. synchromistic. And what happens is that someone in China responds and they end up listening to your radio show today and then they hear me and then they get my book or something. Or you find yourself sitting on the plane next to the very person that can solve your problem or, you know, be the person that you get into a relationship for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've sat on a number of planes where the person next to me opened up opportunities for me that were unbelievable, things that I was wanting to manifest. And so there are no chance meetings. We're attracting that into our life through this. And and Masaru Moto's research just proves on a scientific level that this energy is affecting physical matter. That's the thing that's really key, which then that tells us it affects our health. Fantastic. Absolutely love that. So thank you for very succinctly elaborating on that. I appreciate that. So when you talk about the rampage of appreciation, what does that mean exactly, Jack? Well, it's a term that was created by Abraham, who are a group of entities that uh, channel through a woman named Esther Hicks. Mm-hmm. And um, she's written a number of books, uh, Asking It Is Given, books on the law of attraction. And a rampage of appreciation, which I do on a regular basis, is, and I have my students do, whenever I do a break in a training, I'll have them do something, and one of them will be this rampage of appreciation. But what it is, you go, you walk around in your environment, or you can sit and look around, and everything you see you just give gratitude and appreciation for. So I'm sitting here right now. I appreciate the Yeti microphone, which allows me to sound more like a radio talk show host in some <laughs> tunnel somewhere. So I appreciate the person who invented that, the people at Amazon who shipped it to me. I appreciate the guy who started Amazon. I appreciate the UPS driver who who delivered it. I appreciate the desk that someone in Denmark built that I bought uh, you know, that allows me to sit at this wonderful space. I appreciate the trees outside my window, the people who planted them, the people who trimmed them. I appreciate the desk, the uh, books that are sitting on it, the authors who wrote them, the publishers who printed them. You just go into a rampage of appreciation, everything you see. The fact that you have flush toilets, you know, over a billion people in the world don't have flush toilets. They don't have a cell phone. Uh, if you have a refrigerator full of food, you're, uh, you know, you're in a percentage of people. Like if the village was a hundred people, uh, about 50 people don't have refrigeration, which means they don't have cold food. They don't have the ability to store medicine. Uh, you know, and we could go on and on like that. Yeah. And so. The reality is, most people don't know this either. If you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one tenth of one percent of the world's income earners, and um, you know fifty thousand, you're in the top three percent. So, 
the reality is that there's so much to be appreciative for. Well, I'll send people on a, a exercise to do that. And I would encourage all your listeners to do that today when we get off the show, just to start really walking around going, oh my God, there's so many things here to appreciate. And people will come back after the break with tears in their eyes. I have them share and they go, oh my God, I just felt so full and so complete. So when we start appreciating what we have, as I said earlier, we start getting more to appreciate for. So I have so much abundance in my life that my wife would like to have a moving company come and remove most of it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I should interview her one day. Yeah, um, really. Yeah, absolutely. So alternatively, that's a good segue into, you know, your daily rituals as it relates to uncommon appreciation. So what is uncommon appreciation and why do people still struggle with that? Well, I think any any level of appreciation is pretty much uncommon for the, the majority of our, our world. We, we, we're always focusing on what we don't have, mm-hmm. you know, instead of what we do have. And it's okay to want more. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but manifestation starts with appreciation. And, um, so you don't the, believe that shifting though, Jack? I mean, especially how socially conscious we are now and, you know, it's about consciousness and action and it's about shifting and, you know, things are really changing as a result of what people see, whether it be in the media, uh, whether it be as a result of Me Too, whether it be a result of global warming, all kinds of things. I mean, we, we live in the age and stage of technology where you can't really afford to bury your head in the sand and not be privy to what's going out there, whether you choose to partake in that and roll up your sleeves and become part of, uh, you know, the joint process and part of the collective in terms of shifting things collectively at the global level, that yes, that's fundamentally a choice. But do you really believe in the day that we live in today that people still fall into the majority of being ungrateful and unappreciative? I do. I really? do. I, I, now, I think, listen to me. I, I think that definitely the level of people that are conscious has increased. That, that's, mm-hmm. that's undeniable. And I agree with you 100% on that. But if you look at things like Me Too, if you look at the student shootings right now that happened down in Florida, you have a lot of anger in the, mm-hmm. in the space. You look at Donald Trump, who's basically angry. You look at all the people that are angry at Donald Trump. Um, you know, Trudeau was just over in India and made a few gaffes and the whole state of India was angry at, at Trudeau. So the reality is that there are a lot of people who are living in a space of resignation, living in a space of, of anger, resentment. Um, and so I think, as, a, as I, I agree with you, more and more people are waking up in conscious and that you can give Oprah Winfrey and yourself and a lot of other people who are bringing these messages to the world um, credit for that. A lot of books out there, seminars happening every day, webinars and podcasts and teleseminars happening every day. But when you go to appreciation and we talk about uncommon appreciation, uh, basically, most people are not walking around doing rampages of appreciation. They're looking at the stain on the carpet. This person didn't do that. That person snubbed me. I didn't get invited to that party. That person shouldn't have said that, etc. And they're not doing what I recommend is you make a list of at least five to ten people every day that you verbally appreciate or you send them a thank you note or an email or whatever. I mean, most people – give you an example uh, – I asked my students one day uh, in a seminar I was doing to write a thank you note to someone that affected their life before the age of 21. And so most people don't write thank you notes to their favorite teacher, to their football coach, to their 
mentor when they were younger. And so one person wrote a letter to, 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 um, uh, the guy who had been the, the coach, um, at, uh, UCLA, whose name's escaping me at the moment, John Wooden, John Wooden, famous, famous, famous basketball coach. And he'd had many, many players go to UCLA, for, go from UCLA into the pros and won like national championships, like I think seven of them, whatever. And so my friend wrote him a letter and it wasn't because he played basketball. He got cut from the team. But the reality was the way he got cut was so humane and so loving and so supportive because he said, you're not going to make this team, but here's your, your strengths. And here are three other sports I think you could excel at at UCLA, and I wish you the best. Beautiful. And so he thanked John Wooden for that. John Wooden wrote him back a letter saying, you know, I've been a, foot, a basketball coach most of my life. You're the first person that ever wrote me a thank you letter. All these wow. people went on to make the pros and make millions of dollars and become, you know, superstars. No one's ever written me a thank you letter. And so just taking the time, like I, when I run my longer seminars, like my week-long seminars, Breakthrough to Success, my train-to-trainer program, every night uh, be, people have to appreciate five people before they go to bed, either by phone, in person first, phone second, text or email third in terms of level of impact. And you'd be surprised that people cry when they talk to them. They'll they'll appreciate the doorman at the hotel and give them a hug, and they say, I've never gotten a hug. Uh, they'll appreciate the waiters. They say, you sure you didn't want to yell at me and tell me something's wrong? I mean, it's really amazing uh, how uncommon appreciation, especially expressed, really is. Actually, when you say it like that, you're absolutely right, because many people who I've interviewed, and I can attest to this myself personally, you know, for different things that we've all gone through, and of course, when you get to be this age, this stage in life, none of us come out unscathed, but truly it's a choice as to whether you choose to embrace the message and use that to pay it forward and to be of service to other people, knowing that you yourself are not alone within whatever it was you sat in experience-wise, and so, you know, when I talk about recount some of the things uh, that have happened to me, I'm very matter-of-fact, very robotic about it. Um, but when I talk about a gesture of kindness that was bestowed upon me, I well up. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right to say that. That's where that cord inside of us each gets touched deeply because – yeah, we're just, we're, we hear, we, we, you know, we continue with our to-do list, we interface with people, we plow through things, and sometimes we get so immersed in what it is that we're doing, regardless of how intuitive it is, or how positive it is, or how servant it is, and yet we, we there's no pause to just stop and go, wow, that person really gave me a beautiful smile today, don't know who they were, but did that ever change the trajectory of my day, or set the tone for something, or, or just take me back to that humble place of acknowledgement and go that was a beautiful person i really hope they have a great day and thank you for for you know being that bright light in my path today so Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right to say that and the way that you crystallize that that just uh, rung true for me i had to say that out loud again um yeah absolutely and so you know one of the things that I, I would like to talk to you as well, Jack, is, you know, if we switch over to the business end of things. Now, you you talk about uh, carrying a $100 bill in your pocket all the time. What is the significance of that? Well, I'm up now to carrying $500 bills in my pocket all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, if it's true, if this was a video, I'd show it to you. Um, but I started with a hundred dollar bill. I, my, my, my main mentor when I was younger was a man named W. Clement Stone, who was worth yes. $600 million back in the 1960s and 70s, which by inflation would be a billionaire today. 
And he said, always carry a $100 bill. And the reason is whenever you go into your pocket, you can never say, I'm poor or I don't have any money because you always have $100. And you don't spend it, you just carry it. Now, if you have to spend it, you immediately replace it. Now, if you can't carry a hundred, start with a fifty. Whatever it is, you want to be able to, every time you go in your wallet or your pocket, you go, oh, I'm rich, I have enough. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a little technique to do that. He also had us go down, this was amazing. He had us go down to the, the, the stock exchange in Chicago where I was at the time. And these would be all the guys coming out in their expensive uh, coats, getting into their limousines in the winter and he, he he had a stand down there for about 20 minutes at five o'clock when they were all coming out of the exchange actually a little earlier and uh thank them uh, thank you for being wealthy and being a model that it's possible and if you if you want to talk about feeling awkward and weird that was definitely <laughs> it but but he just kept anything that would make us get in touch with the importance of being abundant the importance of having money. So I, that's what I always carry. And then I also carry one in my wallet because I would carry my cash in my right-hand pocket. But I always know in my wallet, if I actually ran out of money, I've always got $200 bills in there as well. So we have our credit cards and we always have we all have credit. But there's something about real money that affects us in a different way. I'll tell you a quick story. I was doing a talk in Boston and I didn't quite trust this guy. And I said, you have to pay me in cash before I do the talk. And at that time, this was a while ago, uh, my fee was $10,000. Today it's 30. And if I go out of the country, it's 60 to do it, to do a day. And, um, so he gave me $10,000 in cash and they're all hundred dollar bills. It's about a half an inch to three quarters of an inch thick. And I had it in my pocket. I didn't, I didn't trust I could leave it anywhere. So it was in my coat pocket. And all day long, I'm walking around with this $10,000 in $100 bills. <laughs> I get to, I get to Denver that night because there was a big conference that was being put on by a guy named Harvecker. And, yes. and I went to this, it was a seminar of the century. And I took three of my friends out to dinner. John Gray, Mentor from Mars, yeah. uh, Barbara D'Angelis, who wrote Making Love Work, and another pers person. And so we're sitting there at dinner, and I said, I'm going to pay for this. And I pull out this $10,000 in cash, and I rip off four 100s, and I put it on the table. I never felt so wealthy in my life. Now, at that time, <laughs> I was a multimillionaire with millions of dollars in the bank, and yet – Walking around with that ten thousand in cash, I felt more wealthy than if I just looked at my checkbook, which had a balance of you know millions of dollars. So there's something about cash that's just different. Well, there's energy in everything, right? There's Correcto. energy in, in in money in terms of you know being a good receiver as well as being a good giver, and a lot of people struggle with that, which is why a lot of people are stuck within the broke mentality and can't seem to break free of that in terms of you know upping their own game. And again, that goes back to the the false beliefs and the false concepts, which tend to immobilize people in fear and keep them stuck, which ultimately is saying I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving. Correct. Yes. It's true. And also, the other thing about having money in your pocket is you don't... I hope you don't get mugged, Jack, now that we know what you carry on you. <laughs> well, you know, it's really funny. I told this story on TV and there's a, 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 on a talk show once. There's this show called Talk Soup where they kind of uh, yep. make fun of the talk shows during the day. And this guy said, and Jack Kimfield held up a $100 bill to the audience and said, who wants this? And expecting someone to actually come up and get it, to make the point that you have to take action. And somebody in the studio did. And later on the way to his car, Jack was mugged and he took all of his money, which just proves that everyone got the message. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was funny. <laughs> but if you walk around saying, I can't afford that, yeah. and what you're telling yourself, it's an affirmation that's going into your subconscious. We always think that we're describing the current moment. But the thing you have to realize, every thought is not just a description. It's a prescription for the future. Yes. And so you're basically telling yourself, I can't afford things. If you're walking around with a couple hundred dollars in your pocket, then you can say, I choose not to buy that. And that's an intelligent decision when you don't have a huge resource base. But you're not saying, you're not affirming, I can't afford it. You're saying, I choose not to purchase that. And that's a totally different effect on the subconscious mind. Right. Well, two things I want to say, and I hope I can hold both of these and give you an opportunity to answer both of them individually without losing the other thought. Um, so, you know, when you talk about going back to the example of, you know, you wanted to cash up front because intuitively there was something that was distrusting in terms of the gentleman who was going to, you know, so if, if you're somebody who always trusts your intuition and yet this was somebody who came through for you and was able to produce that wad of cash that you then carried in your wallet that paid for dinner that made you feel, you know, like a multimillionaire just in that situation. You know, what did that say to you, especially if we're talking about the work of Byron Katie, what did that say to you about your initial inclination to think that that person was not trustworthy and would not follow through? Well, I felt very good about it because I didn't speak until he gave me the money. I That, that didn't prove <laughs> okay. it. The, no, it doesn't prove it in the future. He would give me the money after I speak. So, Well, that's true, too. So I trusted my intuition on that. And, um, you know, you, you, there's a, a lot of times there's things in your external environment that would seem to argue with your intuition. You know, you don't trust somebody, but then they're a nice person for a while, but then later they, they, they stab you in the back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I like to trust people in general, mm -hmm. but I also like to trust my intuition. I trust my intuition more than anything else. And, you know, if you did something, showed up on time 20 times in a row, I'd start to trust you show up on time. But if I had a big thing on the line and somehow said, you know, she may not show up today, I don't know why. And maybe you didn't do it because you're a bad person. You just did it because your car broke down or your daughter got sick or, you know, your dog had to go to the vet because it got hit by a car. Who knows? But the point being that I've, whenever I've gone against my intuition and my intuition shows up either as sounds in my head or goosebumps. And, yes. you know, we've all had that experience where little voices don't say that. And then we say it and then all hell breaks loose, you know, and if we just kept our mouth shut. So the thing is that your intuition is always there. It, it, it literally means to be taught inwardly. The word tuition, we pay tuition to go to college mm -hmm. and uh, to go to school and so forth for a course. And so we're being taught inwardly. We were not taught to trust that. You know, as a little kid, you go to the doctor and, and you say, I don't want a shot. It's going to hurt. And they go, it's not going to hurt. And so they give you a shot and then it hurts. And they say, see, that didn't hurt, did it? And pretty soon, <laughs> pretty soon we start trusting our own, our own feelings, our own intuition, our own inner thoughts. And that's a big mistake. Right. And you also, in, 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 in talking about all of that, you also refer to the GPS system, the internal GPS system, right? right? Got to program that. Where are you going? Yeah, basically, we all know what a GPS system is in our yes. car or in our cell phone, whatever. And um, the reality is that we have one built into our body and our brain. And, and basically, it's always giving us feedback that you're on course or you're off course. And if you're off course in your car, 
you get some kind of thing that says, you know, take an immediate right turn and then, you know, proceed along the highlighted course. And the same thing happens in our, in our bodies. If we're not experiencing joy and ease and comfort in our body, then, then something's off. Mm-hmm. And, and it's usually us, meaning we're off course. We're not doing the thing that's going to take us where we want to go. So if we put the destination into our GPS system, which you do by creating an image of what you want, you set a goal and then you visualize what it would look like when you got there. And then what happens is if you visualize that, I teach something called the 30 day principle, which is if you visualize that and affirm it for 30 days in a row without missing one day, you can trust and it's very deeply locked into your subconscious. It's in the um, quantum field outside of you mm-hmm. uh, in terms of this quantum, you know, I say that mass email I said that you're sending out to the universe. And then you can relax and let go. And what happens is you're going to start getting um, intuitions, like things that say, do this, call your brother. You haven't thought of calling your brother for a month, and all of a sudden, call your brother today. And you call your brother, and sure enough, he just lost his job, and now for the first time, he wants to talk to you about the MLM that you're in because he needs to make some money. <laughs> you know, whereas before, he said, I can't believe you're trying to talk your brother into this stupid multi-level stuff. And so, so you know, it's just... And the other piece is, if you're not experiencing joy, and I don't mean every single moment of the day you're ecstatic, you know, cleaning up baby poop or your dog's vomit or whatever is not necessarily <laughs> going to be the most important thing. But if you're not generally happy doing what you do, and we know that 60% or or 70%, depending on which study, of people are disengaged at work, meaning they don't love their work, they don't wake up enthusiastic and excited to go to work or do their job, then you're off course. You're being told if you have a headache, if you don't like your job, if you get migraines, if you're, you know, stressed out, if you can't sleep at night, um, you know, if you're bloated, if you're overweight, these are all signs you're doing things that are not on course. And the biggest one I keep going back to is joy. You need to be experiencing joy. And the way I tell people to get in touch with their life purpose, and there's many of them, but one that always works, is do a joy review of your life. When were you the happiest? When did you experience the most joy? And when you do that, you'll see there's a pattern of what you're doing. For me, it's always when I was teaching and learning. If I'm in a seminar, I'm happy. If I'm talking to you today, I'm happy. I'm on stage, I'm happy. Writing a book, I'm happy. If I'm dealing with my financial planner, eh, not so much. You know, <laughs> So he's happy because he loves he's to play. He's happy, absolutely. He's happy. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like like all my kids. I taught them do the things you love to do. And I've got one kid at the Berkeley College of Music who loves to sing. Another kid is a hip hop artist and a and a, um, a what's it called a music uh, manager. I've got another son who's a drummer. I've got a daughter who's a singer and an artist. And one of my sons at the Wharton Business School. He loves to analyze stocks. And they've all done what they love to do, and they're all super successful at it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, just being cognizant of time because there's just still so much ground I want to cover with you, Jack, sure. and, and one interview is not enough. So you're always welcome to come back for sure. Gotcha. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you um, when you talk about your intuition, you know, what what was the situation? Who was the role model? What was the uh, maybe the cathartic moment in your life where you really understood that the intuition was a muscle and therefore no different than the mindset you needed to hone it and you needed to master it, no different than the, the physical vessel of what it is to keep your body in shape. When mm-hmm. did you become astutely aware of that even existing? 
Well, I was fortunate when I was in my graduate school days to meet a woman who was teaching a lot about this kind of stuff. And she taught me the word discernment. Yeah. How do you discern what is for you and what is against you? You know, we put something in our mouth, it either tastes good or it doesn't. You know, some mm-hmm. of us like Brussels sprouts, some of us don't. And so uh, we spit out what we don't like. But she just taught me to start paying real attention to to my preferences. Like, you know, literally I was in a seminar and, and they were handing out these little spiral-bound uh, notebooks for to take notes. And they were all different colors. And I got a yellow one. I'm not a big fan of yellow. I mean, I like the sun, but I don't wear it. I don't have a lot of yellow <laughs> in my environment. And the woman next to me had a blue one. And I was sitting there going, oh, I want the blue one. I don't really like the yellow one, you know. And I was kind of mm-hmm. in a bitchy mood, like, you know, five minutes into the seminar. And um, and then the leader said, if you don't like the color you got, you could trade with someone. Ah, hadn't wow. Occurred, hadn't occurred to me, you know. So I turned to the woman next to me. I said, uh, you have a blue and I have a yellow one. I really prefer blue to yellow. Would you be willing to trade? She said, sure, no problem. I like yellow. Now, that was the beginning of getting that I had preferences and that I could own the fact that I didn't feel good when I got the yellow one and asked for something else. Mm-hmm. And then I would say it was relationships that, you know, I, I'd get into, I'd go, oh, I don't know if I should really take this person out. And I would, and it was an awful date, you know, mm-hmm. or someone that would be, I'd just go, oh, that, that, I don't know why, but I think I should take that class. And then I would take that class and like something would happen to me. It would be amazing. And this was a university that was teaching a lot about psychology and transformation and so forth. So um, I'll give you one more example. Right around that same time, I was married to my ex-wife, uh, which we had a 20-year marriage. And now I'm 20 years into my current one. But anyway, we were at a conference and there was a session on money. And I was kind of a... a, a, a you know, really conscious, a hippie, I had long hair and a beard at the time. And um, she said, you're going to a workshop on money? I thought you were into love and compassion. You weren't into money. I said, I don't know, but I feel like I have to go to this workshop. So I go to the workshop and I sit down. The woman next to me, I start talking to her. I said, so what do you do? She said, I'm a veterinarian. Oh, I love this story. I said, really, you're a veterinarian. Tell me about that. And she, we talked. And, and then she said she specialized in uh, feline leukemia and mm-hmm. that she had found a cure for it. And I had a cat that had feline leukemia. And so I found out what it was that she did. And I lived in Massachusetts. She lived in Connecticut. We took our cat to her, and our cat lived. And had I not gone to that workshop, which normally I wouldn't have chosen, mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't have met her. My cat wouldn't have survived. And, you know, so, again, trusting that intuition. And I could tell you, you know, 20 stories like that. Oh, I'm but the, sure. But the I'm point sure. is. You just have to start learning to listen. And you don't know if it's your fear or your intuition speaking until you trust it and then find out what happened. You know, it's like if I trusted enough and then it keeps showing up that that was a good thing to do, then I I increase my trust for it. The other thing that intuition rarely makes you feel afraid. You usually get a sense of expansion and with, uh, with, with something that's not, good for you to do, uh, you usually get a sense of contraction. So if you're getting an inner voice and you feel like you're contracting, it's probably not your highest self. It's probably fear speaking. Absolutely. Well, the other question I want to ask you, it's probably going to wind up being my last question, um, is 
you know, for somebody like yourself who is very self-actualized, somebody who is very evolved, somebody who is very uh, intentional, uh, somebody who has daily rituals, somebody who has mantras, somebody who steps into it every single day, you know, do you ever get to a point and of course, we know that the ultimate goal is it's we're just here to be in competition with ourselves. It's about improving and becoming the best, most improved, healthy version of ourselves every day going forward in our lives. So you having aspired to have accomplished everything that you've done, um, you know, people would arguably say off the charts. But again, it goes back to the concepts and the principles of what we've identified. No coincidence attached to that whatsoever. You either believe it or you don't. It's a choice. So... How do you outperform Jack Canfield? How do you keep up with yourself in terms of what's next on your 101 goals that you outline and identify for yourself? You know, how do you, how do you up your own game when I look at what you've managed to achieve and it's, you know, massive succession of one thing after another? Do you get to a point where it's like, you know, I'm going to have to reconfigure what goal setting actually means because I, 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 you know, I'm just kind of running out of things to, to accomplish here. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at the world. There's a lot that needs to be done. <laughs> That's true too. But you're only one person. Let's be realistic here. I am, and I'm, and, and and at that point, I'm not trying to outperform myself. It's never been my goal. My goal is to simply be myself. And can I be myself 100? percent Yes. Um, so for me, I follow my inner guidance you know what is it that is wanting to michael beckwith who is in the secret the black guy in the secret yes. has a wonderful way of saying it he says evolution is happening through you as you so the evolution of consciousness is occurring through you through me through the listeners that take another step in the direction of their self-actualization and so forth and so i just want to be the best me i can be and that means i tune in every day and I ask, you know, what, what, what am I meant to be doing? Now, when I get that guidance, I will then use the techniques of goal setting and visualization and affirmation to actually actualize all of that. Uh, I, I didn't set out initially to, uh, develop an online training program for our mm-hmm. trainer trainers, but we were in, um, the Gulf, like Oman and, and, and Iran and, and um, Dubai and Qatar and Bahrain and places like that doing a tour of the Gulf. And um, all these people said, we, we, we need to learn how to teach this here. We need this desperately in our culture. And uh, we can't afford to come to the United States. We can't get visas, you know, and so forth. And so I said, okay, we, we have to create an online program. And Patty and I agreed to that. Now, once I got that awareness that this was something I needed to do to fulfill my vision of a world that works for everybody, then I set the goal to have the program, to develop it, to market it, to have a million trainers and so forth. Um, and, you know, wasn't too long ago, I, I, I went down to, um, to um, Ecuador, and in Ecuador with the shamans, you ingest a substance called ayahuasca. And in that ayahuasca experience, I realized that the only thing that really matters is love, love of ourself, love of the planet, love of each other. And that love can be expressed in lots of ways, you know, whether I'm being a doctor or I'm teaching you how to be more successful, make more money, whatever. And I realized I needed to write a book on love and fear. I really got clear that the only thing that stops us from anything is fear. And the only other major thing that we all need to be doing is loving. And so I'm writing a book on love and fear. Fear, you some of you are very familiar with because it's your your brand, living fearlessly. So 
And I'll probably interview you for that book, by the way. Cause oh, wanna, that would be awesome. Yeah, I want to hear. I'm, hey, this is live. I'm, you're quoted there. <laughs> <laughs> and we do hold each other accountable, so that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. So, unfortunately, Jack, we're going to have to wrap up here. Time always goes way too quickly, particularly for guests like yourself. Um, would love to have you back again. And, you know, I'm going to be gifting your grandson, Ozzy, with my children's books. Um, oh, they're, they're all in alignment with uh, what it is we're talking here uh, specifically about. And I will also be issuing you a thank you note because I am truly grateful for the time, for the nuggets, uh, for the wisdom, for what you continually do to pay it forward and to be of service to the collective, to the masses. Uh, we need more people like you. People are starving for your message, Jack. And I just want to say a personal thank you, professional thank you, uh, for being a very pivotal, intangible mentor to me in my de- development, in my growth. And uh, I just think, you know, you're a super bright light, uh, beacon of hope. And I just want to say thank you. I, th- I really, I value you and I, I cherish you. I truly cool. do. Thank you very much. May, may I give people my website so they can Absolutely find Absolutely you can. Okay, so if you'd like to know more about my work, you can go to Jack Canfield. That's C-A-N-F-I-E-L-D dot com. If you uh, have a cell phone, you can uh, go to uh, just type in the word Jack to nine six zero zero zero. That's ninety six thousand. Type in the word Jack, and you'll you'll get into our um, our our list. We send out a free ten day success challenge uh, that you'll get an email every day with a little video in it to watch for about three minutes and a homework assignment for the day. And if you're interested in learning how to do this work, our train the trainer program it will teach you how and you'll help me reach my vision of a million trainers in the world and also help you make a difference in the world and empower and inspire other people. And the best thing is you learn how to do it for yourself as you learn how to teach it to others. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and Patty assured me this morning she's going to send me the link. So when the, the podcast has calibrated, I'll be uploading that with the affiliate link of where people can connect with you with regards to that training program. So, oh, very good. Absolutely. So I want to thank you again, Jack. I want to thank you to my loyal listeners. Uh, I really appreciate you plugging in and tuning in. I love all your feedback and your testimonials. It means so much. Uh, I know that the guests that I bring on here every week are resonating with you. It's very uh, indicative of the stats uh, in terms of your comments and just some of the, the transformational moments and breakthroughs that you've aspired to in your own life, which you are very graciously, continuously sharing with me. So thank you for that. I want to encourage you to uplift you, to fear less, and to live more. That's what I'm here to do, and I certainly feel that I've accomplished that in uh, conjunction here with Jack Canfield, who is very gracious with his time here today on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I want to once again thank my sponsors, Halton Honda and Forever, for believing in myself, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald, and the content and the guests that I bring on here every week. I wish to remind you and thank my family over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, follow Following the live show, you can eventually see the podcast link uh, up on my host page. Again, also living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. And I want to thank you for now being one of half a million podcast subscribers to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Could not be doing this in a vacuum. We're all in this together. We're all connected. Again, uplifting you to fear less and to live more. We will be back here again next Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific. 10 Central, 11 Eastern with another phenomenal guest. And I encourage you all to have a fantastic weekend. Love and gratitude. All my best. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.